and guest to Max Hornet, the Precision Rifle Podcast. Welcome, Max Hornet Podcast. I'm Tyler. Jeff. I'm Jeff. Hey. So here we are again, man. It's another episode, another one where we got to keep it to an hour this time. Our, we're, we're expecting to keep our episodes to roughly an hour. And now we have another system built in place. That's going to help us with that. And her name is Melissa. <laughs> so if, I, uh, if I'm out in this garage for another three hours, she's going to kill me. I know, dude. So let me just start this off, right? I feel like it's important that we we just don't talk about, you know, train, train, train. But we have a little bit of spice of our life included in this. And, yes. you know, so <clears throat> one, I think the previous three videos... I was wearing this shirt and I just want everybody to know that I have been doing laundry. I'm just limited on clothes right now. And I am in another country. Um, so I left Hawaii. I traveled to another country. I got a training event coming up and I didn't get to book my travel this time. Right. I normally just, I fly Delta. Uh, I don't know. They make me feel special when I have all these miles and, and statuses on the little app and you know shit like that so i normally fly delta but this time i was flying a different airline and um, i leave hawaii i get to this city and i was told that i got to go pick up my bags and then take them to the other side and get on the plane i'm like okay cool whatever so i like land and i've got like a four and a half hour layover here and I'm like, all right, cool. Grab my stuff. I go to the other side and they're like, oh, hey, uh, your flight's not leaving here. It's in the other airport. And I'm like, well, what other airport? And they're like, the other one. And I'm like, well, how far How far is it? And they're like, uh, two hours by bus. I'm like, why wasn't this disclosed to me when I was buying the ticket that I would have to leave the airport and go to another airport? So now I'm kind of like, I'm irritated and I can't read any of the damn signs. So I'm like, bus, train. I decided to opt for the train. So now I got to find my way downstairs to the bottom level, and I got to hopefully pick the right train. So I'm using, like, Google Translator, and I'm trying to, like, solve this shit. And I finally found it, and, like, I'm trying to book this ticket now, this plane ticket. And she tells me the price. I'm like, okay, cool. And I pull out my card. She's like, sorry, cash only. I'm like son of a bitch the hits just keep coming so now i gotta go find an atm so i get it all squared away jump on the train and like 
there's little displays in the train, like, and I'm not seeing the stop that I'm supposed to get off at for this other airport. And, uh, you know, like stop after stop after stop. And I'm like, oh my God, I hope I'm on the right train. Like there was three trains there and I had, you know, a 33% chance of getting it right. So it turns out I was on the right train, right? I was just the very last stop. Like the end of the road is where I'm going. So that was, that was a challenge. I mean, it wasn't a challenge. It was, it was, you know, when like things come out of the side and just pop you in the face and you're like, oh shit, I wasn't ready for that. Like, Thank God I had a four and a half hour layover. So you left Hawaii. Yeah. Arrived at your airport and you had to go to another airport to get your luggage. No, I had to go to another airport to catch my next flight. Oh, to get. Okay. That (laughs) makes more sense. I'm dragging my luggage around with me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, I'm talking to this lady and she barely speaks any English. And I'm like, who would do this? What airline in their right mind would sell a guy a ticket? To go from point A to point B, but in the middle, you're gonna have you're to gonna, find your own you're way. To figure it out. <laughs> I'm like, oh, and you know, it turns out it's actually not that uncommon. It's just I've never experienced that before, you know. So I, I, it's not that can't be common. All of these experiences are are driving me to be more hyper focused. The next time I book a plane ticket, I'm gonna be like, okay, where exactly is my next flight taking off from? You so to, to be fair, did you not see your layover? Was it a different airport? Nope. Totally breezed over it. I just, again, yeah. it's not something I ever I would look for. I would never think that my, my, my one flight would land at one airport. And then I would have to depart from another airport. It's not something that you see in the U S like imagine you know, booking a plane ticket from New York and your your destination is to go to Hawaii. So you land at LAX, you got to grab your bags and you got to take a train over to Santa Ana John Wayne Airport to fly to Hawaii. Like, is that something that you think about happening? No. So like it was an experience for sure. And a life lesson to always check your tickets and know what the hell is being booked for you. So yeah, man, that that's where I'm at, and I'm, I got this nice, cozy log cabin Airbnb that I'm living it up in right now. Yeah, it looks very. Is that the same one you've been in? Uh, yeah, yeah. So it, it looks cozy. It is. It's nice. It's very warm up here. It it looks like a teepee. It's a like the roof from the pitch to the ground. The roof goes all the way down. It's just a triangular house. That it's an A-frame. Uh, yeah, that that thing. Yeah. I like TP better, but whatever. It's all good. It's all the same. So anyways, this podcast, um, it's not one of our regular Tuesday podcasts. It's more of like a, hey, let's crank out another one. Let's get our episodes down to an hour and, you know, let's have some cool stuff to talk about. So a few things that I wanted to cover in this episode is one, um, SHOT Show just ended. I wasn't there. You weren't there. We have friends that were there, but you could see all of the products that are being blasted over social media you got all your influences influencers over at shot show that are posting shit and um you know from my experience you could have let's say easy numbers there's a hundred companies at shot show and only two of them are releasing something new you know everybody else is just pumping out the same shit with a different paint job on it you know so uh some cool things that i did see and i Two of the four that I'm going to speak on right now, I don't even know if they're that cool. It just caught my eye. 
Um, so the first thing was the Hollow Sun DMS. I really like to get my hands on it. I think we have a few people that got to play with it at Shot Show that we're going to try and get on the show and get their opinions. But it's basically a red dot that is, is it, from your understanding, is it thermal only or is it a mix of thermal and night vision? So it has a function where thermal and night so, vision, boom. So I don't know. I have I think I've seen pretty much the same, I don't want to say press releases, the same uh, people on their Instagrams or YouTubes playing with them, but um, yeah. not sure. I asked that question. I didn't really get a straight answer. It looked like it's a like it's a hybrid thermal slash it night did. vision kind yeah, of thing. I mean, it's got, from what I gather, it's got like a two and a half hour battery life, but during the day, it's a normal red dot. It's got normal hollow sun battery life of like forever. Okay. So um, it looks pretty cool. I want to try it out. I want to get my hands on one. Um, I don't, I don't know what I would need it for, but I, I need to get my hands on one. I mean, I guess that, you know, how, how sensitive it is to heat, it could be, I don't want to say a game changer, but it could be something that is boosting your your coyote hunting game you know like yeah i mean so we can't use in california you can't use thermals or night vision um specifically anything that's got its own illuminator um i don't know i've never hunted with night vision or thermals at night uh, in california so i've never stayed up on what the most current can and can't do's with them is i just know that it's always generally been, I don't want to say it's a gray area, but there's some very specific wording. Um, and if I remember correctly, a couple years ago, they changed it again to where you can't use any night vision or thermals period. And it's a, it's a hard line. So it doesn't really affect me. I couldn't use that stuff anyway, anyways, but I, I hunt on, I hunt with a red light at night. So. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, either way, it's definitely some call of duty type shit where. Oh yeah. Looking is it like through. is it like the who's the other company that has a a small thermal um is it sig i a think small it's small thermal yeah like a small i feel it's it i'm not sig really sure vortex there's a small single red dot size kind of looking thermal I, I could be out of my mind maybe i'm i'm misspeaking i thought there was another one out there hmm. but um that's a maybe a couple years older it's going to have to be something. But I could be wrong. We look I'll look up, it up. Right? Um, So pretty cool. That was something new, something different that I saw pop up. And I was like, wow, that's that's pretty that's pretty rad. I'm curious how it works. I'm curious about the the night vision, the thermals, you know, what the what the what's that optimal temperature? You know, what's the what's the operating range for this thing? You know, yeah. how sensitive can it get? Um, You know, would it be something that you could? mount on top of your scope and use it as a locator or an aiming like you know kind of like how i have my red dots now where i'm just mm -hmm. kind of like look through get on target and then i'm back in my scope you know so i don't know something cool uh the other thing was the eotech ogl laser i forget what ogl stands for i just kept calling it the old gangster laser i think it stands for on gun laser oh there you I go think that's, that's very specific simple. i think that's what the acronym's for i like mine better yeah but, yours is better i mean so um the reason i liked it is i really don't know a whole lot about it you know people weren't putting any stats out there there was no like it's got this laser it's got this it, 
there was no information to be had unless you were there at the show. Um, but what I liked about it was, you know, this looks like a laser that is going to be wallet friendly, you know. And when I think about wallet friendly, I keep thinking about Nick, uh, Nick Diaz, who's on uh, Team Max Ordnance. Mm -hmm. You know, he ended up getting some night vision. And he was yes, I know, I know that, I know that night vision well. <laughs> he was so excited, he's like, "Oh my god, I finally got night vision! I can mount and blah blah blah." Right? But now he's like, eh, "Fuck, you know, now I need four thousand dollars to buy a laser." You know? Yeah. And nice. uh, I don't know what the price point on this is, but I know that EOTech is, um, you know, it's it's been built where it's kind of that middle of the road, you know. So I'm assuming that this would be a consumer friendly laser. Um, something that you can mount onto your rifle and it's not going to break the bank when uh, when you purchase this thing if you're running night vision already. And do they have, I think, do they have a full power and a civilian version? Again, there are so little details put out about this. I'm just, I was looking at pictures of it, um, looking at, you know, different apertures for the lasers. And then I see people connecting Surefire lights to it and then different pressure pads. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is, this is really cool. I don't know anything about it there was not a lot of details that came out so these are just kind of new things that i think we should look into and maybe try to get our hands on and see what's up so yeah um arrow precision they had a bolt gun at shot show last year so i got sent a screenshot of like oh shit look you know uh and it was funny the way that it was sent to me in a text message it was check this out one of your lowest grade AR manufacturers is now making a bolt gun. That definitely makes me want to buy it. <laughs> I mean, the price Fair point, enough. I mean, yes, to an extent, you know, but I feel like on one end, that's a mindset that you could go with. But then on the other end, like, have we just gotten to a point where we are so, you know, bougie and, and Gucci that, you know, if it doesn't cost $1,500 and it's not made by one of the top end companies, then it's then it's crap. Right. But I've had much success with previous Remington 700s and those mm -hmm. actions don't cost more than 400 bucks. You know, I so. didn't start getting I think my first I think my first custom action was like no more than, you know, maybe 15 years ago up until then they've all been some version of a 700 or a, or a, a mini CZ or something that I could afford that I could, you know, build a gun off of. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. The, you know, you look at all the, you look at the actions that are out now and yeah, they're fantastic. They're, they're leaps and bounds technology wise better than, than, you know, your Remington's or Ruger's or whatever, but you know, could we still run, any of those other stock offerings just as well. Yeah, I'm sure we could. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the Aero Precision, it its price point is $895. So you got Remington way over here. You've got like your Falcors, your Impacts, like your top dollar guys over here, right? And then you've got Aero Precision in the middle. And from the looks of it, uh, you know, I don't know what the quality is. I don't own one, but if the quality is there, if the machining is good, the tolerances are tight, you know, they hold good tolerances from action to action to action. It's got a side bolt release. It doesn't have the Remington trigger bolt release, mm -hmm. you know, um, <clears throat> it's got some other features built into it, like the uh, recoil lug shape and then the top rail. So you're looking at an action that is priced well, but then 
you know, it's, it's not on either side of the spectrum, you know, when it comes to like, you're getting Remington quality or you're getting Falcor pricing, you know, like it's here and it kind of like, kind of like bro brought those two sides in. So it's, it's interesting for sure. I do believe it's a Remington 700 footprint. So there is a benefit all to itself because there are so mm -hmm. many stocks and triggers and whatever you can think of in terms of Remington bolt-on stuff. So, and then the last one that, and I didn't even see anybody post about this at SHOT Show. It was actually a feed that popped up on my, I think, Instagram or Facebook was the Nevesky bolt gun. So they have a complete bolt gun made by Nevesky and they got a chassis system. I believe the bolt gun that they showed was a 223. And then uh, looking at the action, it's not, it doesn't look like it's a Nevesky action. Like it doesn't look like it's proprietary. It doesn't look like it's made by them. It looks like it just got their name slapped on the side of it. And, you know, I sent a few pictures out to a few people. I said, hey, can you identify this action? And they're like, it looks like it's Stiller. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then, uh, you know, I proceeded it to get a lot text like the Stiller. Yeah, I proceeded to get text messages of little vomit emojis. I'm like, okay, 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 I got it. Calm down, calm down. I'm just asking. Um, so what does this say? I, I feel like it says that, you know, ARs are cool, but, you know, there's always this progression. And, you know, we get pistols and then we get ARs and then, you know, everybody dresses up their ARs and gets all fancy. And then you got to mod them out with all this adjustable bullshit. And then now we're in AR pistols. And then eventually the precision bolt game comes along because it's just, you know, it's sexy to hit shit at long ranges. Mm -hmm. So now you see all these, you know, not only do you see training companies popping up out of the fucking woodwork of like, oh, yeah, I've used a fucking bolt gun once before. Let me show you how to use it. Here's the safety, you know. But uh, you also see manufacturers getting into building bolt guns, you know, and, and kind of going that direction. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm not saying that they No, uh, but I wonder what part of that is, you know, maybe a, a pivot from the ability to sell semi-auto rifles to the general public, the yeah. more, you know, the more the, the crackdown comes in and the more that people can't buy these things that or or maybe it not can't, but it's more difficult that, you know, they start looking at bolt bolt guns as a, as another hobby that's less controversial or maybe, yeah. uh, you know, isn't as, isn't, isn't as hard to get uh, items for, I guess, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's just a thought. Well, that's always the question is uh, when you see a, a, a company, an AR company, historically come out with a bolt action platform, <clears throat> I start to ask myself the question of like, why are they here? Why are they in this market? What is their motivation? Is it survival? You know, like you're saying, the AR market is kind of like in that weird area right now. Or is it uh, passion? You know, like was the company a hunting company and they just got into ARs and that's where their claim to fame came from, but they're, they're going to go back to the roots. And that's kind of where Falcor is, you know, Falcor was a big AR company. Um, and they had the 300 wind mag AR platform. By the way, this arrow precision bolt action is ugly. <laughs> it is ugly. Are you sitting there looking <laughs> at it? <laughs> <God>. <laughs> so, um, anyways, so Falcor, you know, the owners are big avid hunters. And their goal was, you know, 
they have Falcor Defense, they have these these amazing platforms for ARs, but their their dream was to always get into the bolt bolt action market. And they didn't, you know, they didn't want to buy somebody else's stuff and slap their name on it. They are a manufacturer, so they opted to go the route of we want to build our own. And uh, you know, so I always ask the question when I see bolt guns pop up is what's their motivation behind it? They just trying to get into the market. They just trying to make money, you know, where, <clears throat> and uh, you, we'll probably never know all the answers, man. You could just sit here and, you know, kind of guess, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's probably a combination of everything from, I feel like it was a year ago, maybe a year or two ago, and maybe it's still going on now. I don't know, but you know, uh, shotguns just made a, a a hard run back into mainstream and everybody's running some kind of shotgun, whether it's a Benelli M4, which, you know, I got guilty of. And I was like, Oh, I need to go buy one now for some reason that sits in the safe or, um, you know, uh, run an eight seventies or whatever it is. And yeah. now it's bolted. And so, you know, maybe it's, it's, it's not exactly, it's not a huge industry as much as it's a, you know, there's a lot of manufacturers and there's a lot of, when I say huge, I don't mean size. I mean, huge as in, it's not like everybody knows everybody, but everybody, if one person comes up with something, everybody knows about it. So maybe it's just a close knit industry. Yeah. I guess. But yeah. uh, maybe there's just, you know, a couple, a handful of people that, you know, we're in gas gun guys or precision turned into precision rifle guys. And the next guy that follows him decided to get into it and it just kind of snowballed this year. And maybe next year it'll be something else. Could be, man. Could be. And we could talk about the market and, and you know, where things are going. Because I've got some really crazy, not crazy, but some, I've got some ideas about how the market and, and where people are pushing their marketing dollars to and who they're trying to appeal to. And, you know, I, I kind of feel like sometimes people get sucked into a specific target market and, if you really sit down and look at it, it's not as big as you think, you know, like, but anyway, um, so we have our second episode, our traditional, we're starting a tradition of looking at videos that we see pop up and we're just like, what the fuck? Like, what starting is- a tradition of you sending me stuff saying, look at this. Oh my God. <laughs> what did I just watch? You know, like, uh, so again, we're not calling people out. We're just, we're talking about what we see. And so I saw this video pop up and I did send it to you and uh, you just watched it. And what it is, is it's a, it's a training company. They're training submarines on, uh, you know, sniper bolt action precision stuff. And, uh, you know, so they're going through in the video, they're going through some of the stuff that they're teaching and, and you can hear their audio in the background. And then there's this one, slide this one uh video clip where they you know they're observing what the shooter's doing and he's laying in the prone he's a left-handed shooter and he'll take a shot and they're using a trigger cam and i love that technology to be able to see what the shooter sees you know so they're using a trigger cam and the guy takes a shot and the rifle jumps now he's a left-hander the rifle jumps right probably up into up into the right yeah five or six mils and uh and he's like okay did you see that 
And he's like, yeah, he's like, okay, so we're going to take another shot. He's like, and this time I want you to more back pressure, more back pressure. So what he's saying by back pressure is to pull the rifle tighter into the body, right? And then boom, he takes another shot. And this time it's not quite five or six mils. It's more like four. Three. <laughs> yeah. Four. It's still fucking way out there. Uh, but the rifle jumped the same direction. And he's like, all right, we're getting better. We're working on it. Just takes time. And I'm like, I'm watching this and then I'm just blown away because it's not about back pressure. It has nothing to do with back pressure. You are, when you're behind your rifle, you are trying to apply pressure by pulling the rifle into your collarbone, right? Because there's soft tissue there. So the tighter connection that you have, the more or less that the rifle can move during recoil because you've taken all that squishy shit out, right? That's the point of applying rearward pressure or that back pressure. But when the, when the reticle's jumping left or right, that's a, that's a buttstock to shooter connection problem. You know, that's that recoil path, the least resistance that I'm always fucking talking about, you know, you feel recoil, the, the rifle starts to move, and it hits a hard point. And if that hard point is not center of the buttstock, then the rifle is going to jump where there's a weak point. And that's what you're seeing. Now, why is it from, you know, shot number one to shot number two? You know, first shot was five to six mils. Second shot was three to four mils. Why was there a difference? Well, because he applied more pressure so the rifle could move less, but it's still hitting that pivot point and jumping, you know? Yeah. And that's just him, you know, and, and all he did was just muscle the rifle and just keep it from moving as much. Pretty much. Yeah. So not a very good, uh, not a very good look, you know, this video being out there, it just shows me that there's still a lack of understanding <clears throat> for what real recoil management is, you know, and understanding how that rifle is you know once you are behind that rifle you have a connection and that connection is affected by recoil right and and you're going to see the results in the scope and i tell you know i tell students all the time like before the shot takes place right you can check your natural point of aim so you can lay down behind the rifle build your position relax settle down close your eyes do all this stuff and then open where's your reticle right that's your natural point of aim and i think you know, people get confused about natural point of aim and having your body square behind the rifle because they're not the same. They're not. I can have natural point of aim and my position can be fucked up as all hell, right? Mm -hmm. Every time I touch that rifle, there's a natural aiming point. Doesn't matter what my body position is. So you got your pre-checks before you fire. When you breathe, does your reticle move straight up and down or does it move at an angle, right? That should tell you something. And then after the shot, where did your reticle go? Did it jump right? Did it jump left? Did it go high? Like that should tell you something. These are all stories being told to you to help you fix your problems. And I don't think enough people pay attention to that, right? They're too focused on, did I hit the target? You know, like, uh, let me well, I power think, my magnification out so I could see what actually happened. I think that video is a is sort of a, a prime example of, of, I don't want to say the newness, but of too many, I don't want to say too many companies, but too many, too many new teams, companies, training companies, whatever it is, kind of hopping in and, and not 
working or or understanding true fundamentals of marksmanship. Yeah. That's that's day one stuff. The, the rifle up into the right is literally day one max ordinate, uh, you know, PR one type stuff. So when you see somebody that when you see a video like that and it's supposed to be it, you know, to to be honest, something at at that level of training and or should be at at a level of training that it's obviously not when it when it's um to those types of students it makes yeah. you think you know it's I, I think it's it's a fundamental problem of too many new people in this space i agree i agree um with that i would say that there might be some ego tied into that as well i mean you mm -hmm. think about oh for sure you know, a guy says, hey, I'm going to start a training company, right? And he's got his way. And I was, I was the same, but my, like my knowledge was, you know, 100% built from the Marine Corps, right? And so I was teaching what I knew, but then I was learning along the way, right? I was learning new things. I was trying to figure out why is this happening? Why is this happening? What's this like? Holy shit, you know, like, we're still learning. Even today, we're learning new drills that we can do, new things that work, new things that don't work, the relationship between active point of aim, body alignment, like all this stuff. We're still learning, you know. But we've had all of these experiences, which is why we're able to talk about it so abundantly. You know what I'm saying? Like we've been down this road. We've had these students ask us questions like, why is my rifle jumping this way? And it's like, uh... Let me let me figure it out. Let me figure this shit out. And you know, if I don't know the answer, I will find one and we will break that ground together. So, mm -hmm. you know, last episode I kind of talked about I'm trying to get into real estate investment, like buying properties, doing rentals. Um, but I'm also I've been getting more and more like I want to jump into the stock market, right? Um, now my education on stock market and in any of that shit is like a fat zero, right? Actually a zero has more experience than I have in the stock market, right? Now, if you relate that to training and like starting a training company, like over here, you got start training company. And then over here, it's start investing in stocks. So you could just say, you know what? I, I have a basis. I know what to do. I'm going to jump in, right? Mm -hmm. I could jump <clears throat> on TD Ameritrade right now and I could buy stocks. I don't know what the fuck I'm looking at, you know? You can, I but you start, can buy them. Yeah, I could start a training company right now and I could teach, you know, things that have been passed down to me, but that doesn't mean that I know what the fuck I'm doing, right? It just means that I've been taught this and I'm going to push it to other people. So, you know, instead of like just jumping into the stock market, like... I've been nothing but videos, like listening to this video, this video, this video, like what does the PE ratio mean? What does this mean? What does the debt to assets ratio mean? Like all of these things, all of these numbers that mean something when you're looking at the New York Stock Exchange. And to me, they mean nothing. So I want to know, right? I want to do these things. And that's kind of how if you're going to get into this business and you're going to start a training company, think about how many years People have been doing this, people like myself, people before me who have been doing this and that probably teach some really good stuff. Their, st their stuff is out. The answers are out there. 
the question is, is what, what kind of training company do you want to be? You want to be the best or do you want to just, you know, try to brand yourself as the best and teach what you know without furthering your education? Because the answers are out there, man. You just got to, you got to be willing to go out and seek them. You know what I'm saying? Like put yeah, in the, a lot of these companies suffer from, from their own success, which is you have, you have a lot of, a lot of really, um, really good top level instructors that, you know, sort of see another, um, uh, revenue stream when it comes to, you know, long gun stuff. So these are either carbine guys or pistol guys or whatever it is that have made a name for themselves and know that they can just drop a, a long range class and they can fill it. Yeah. You know, they can work out the details later because, you know, they've shot a rifle once or twice. So, you know, a lot of what we're seeing is a, is a, a product of, you know, other successful training companies that just, you know, it's a revenue stream for them. It's not necessarily, you know, anything they're passionate about or care to, to learn about or even get good at. They just know they can fill a class. Yeah. 100%. You know, it, it's no different than me. You know, I don't know anything about stocks. I've, I've lost a lot of money in options and never again, but I'm a lot of my, a lot of my investments are in crypto. I mean, huge, I, I know enough, just enough to get me in trouble, but I, I'm really big into, into crypto, Yeah, but whether it's whatever, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to know what the hell I'm talking about if I just start investing in stocks. But mm -hmm. if someone comes to me and says, Hey, you're a crypto guy. Can you teach me a, a, a class on how to trade stocks? Sure. What are you going to pay me? And I'll figure it out. <laughs> and, and it's, it's kind of the same thing. You know, these guys are coming to them because you know, either they, they had a pistol class with them or a, a rifle class and, you know, now they want to, they want to teach them bolt gun stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's the first video. The second video was, um, it was talking about steps to be a better precision rifleman or something like that. I, I didn't watch the whole video. I it just, there's a, specific... oh, I, I fast forwarded a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a specific part where it was like one of the steps and they were talking about length of pull and he was like, you know, and I've heard, I don't know if it was on this video or a, a previous uh, conversation that I've heard somebody talking about length of pull, but they're talking about like length of pull is going to help you manage recoil better. Make it shorter. It'll help you. It's not true. Like the connection between you and the rifle is what helps you manage recoil better, right? How that buttstock is placed left and right and up and down. That's recoil management, right? As far as length of pull is concerned, right? The shortest is not always the best. We're talking about a length here that should be established by what your body dimensions are from the tip yes, of yes. your finger when it is curved, like it's resting on the trigger to the crack of your elbow. That's a dimension that we use as a measurement because that's also going to dictate certain other things. You think about when you get up out of the prone position, right? And even in the prone position, if your length of pull is off, if it's too long, now you find yourself reaching to cycle the bolt, right? If you are shooting from a barricade and you set that rifle down, right, and you're trying to keep your body square behind the rifle, but you're also trying to grab the barricade and maybe lock that rifle down, the longer that length of pull is, the more your upper body has to twist and rotate to be able to grab that barricade, 
because it's not set up for your body dimensions. All right. And it, I just, yeah, it's, just, it's wild, man. It's well, wild. and there's a reason why, why you get fit for a bow, right? There's a, there's a length of pole or whatever it is for, for a bow, because that is, that's just dimensions. It's just your yeah. arm to arm, whatever that is. Um, and it's the same with the rifle. The The video was funny because it was a blanket statement across everybody who was talking about the length of pull that you should just universally make it shorter to help your recoil management. And, yeah. I, and, and I don't even know, like, I, I I don't even know where that, I've never heard that. Like, I've never heard that, that as a, as a, like, uh, I've just never heard that myth or, or whatever it is. It's just. That one kind of threw me for a loop. That was the that was the first time I've heard that one, which is your length of pull will help you manage recoil better. Like, yeah. What the? Where did that, that was a come new from? one to me? Where did that come from? Um, so the particular stock that they were using, it's funny because they're talking about how length of pull they go to the shortest configuration possible. And yeah. I was thinking about this. I'm like, okay, why are they saying this? And it dawned on me, right? The the length of pull that they're using on that particular chassis, right? It was a chassis bolt gun. You can have two options. They have their long option. They have their short option. Well, their short option only goes down to like 12 and three quarter inches. So it's already too long for like 60% of the shooters out there, right? Mm -hmm. So no fucking shit you're telling people to go to the shortest configuration because you don't make it short enough for actual people to shoot. And you know? I like, think I actually have that stock on a surgeon. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. And it's too long. For it's me. too long. Yeah. <laughs> um, so as far as like your shooting, is it going to affect your shooting? It's going to affect your mechanics of operating that weapon system. But you can move your scope, you can adjust your eye relief, you can do all those things to make it work. One of the chassis I ran for an entire year was a Jay Allen chassis. Their length of pull is set for 13 inches. Mm -hmm. And it only gets longer from there. I promise you, this ain't no 13 inches. I wish it was, but it's not, right? <laughs> it is like 11 and a half. So I got this long-ass rifle stock. And I have to make do like, so I move the scope. I, I move things around to make the rifle fit me as best as possible. But when it comes time to cycle that bolt or get behind that barricade, there's nothing I can do. So length of pull is huge. And it was just seeing this video and listening to the reasoning behind it. I was like, Oh my God. Like, and this is, this is videos that are being pumped out to people on YouTube, on social media and, you know where I got it? It I, I got an email. Like they emailed me about it. I guess I'm on their mailing list and I was <laughs> watching this video. I'm like, I gotta stop. I gotta no, hit the stop button right now. So again, if you're watching this or you're listening to this podcast, like do your research, right? Start to look at why we can have these adjustable stocks. Imagine if you took a Falcor stock, one of the one of the chassis that I helped develop. And one of the biggest things that I said was like, we need a buttstock that will fit everybody. And when I say everybody, I'm talking about like kids. Kids are out there competing and hunting and shooting now. We need to make sure it fits them. So this mm -hmm. length of pull will go down all the way to 11 inches. And it'll extend all the way out to 15 and a half. 
That's a lot of adjustment in there, right? Imagine taking that Falcor chassis and closing it all the way up to 11 inches because that's what you heard on this video was the best thing to do. Yeah. We collapse it all the way down. You know, like that's not even how you shoot your AR. You don't shoot your AR with the buttstock all the way collapsed because you get better recoil management, you know, like, uh, I'm going to lose it, man. We got We're going to have to move on. This is just, yeah and that's that's you know that's big company marketing team putting out a a commercial that yeah what do you expect Uh, i don't know i don't know you know i bet the same shit happens with like vehicles and you know you see a commercial for a vehicle and it's like it's got this motor you know and if you don't know shit about cars you're just like oh my god it's got a 289 V8 in it. That's so awesome, you know? And in reality, that's like the smallest V8 that you can buy. You know? Well, it's so, like, I think it was, I think it was H&K's magazine ad from whatever, 20, 15 odd years ago that the, the, whatever, whatever model gun it was, it was an H&K and then it had two magazines right next to it and all the bullets were in backwards and that, <laughs> and that made it to print. Yes, it's a pretty infamous ad, but yeah, I mean, you just you got marketing team versus, you know, I don't know, guys who know what they're doing with it. That's legit. That is legit. I'm about to do that for one of our advertisements. Yes, let's do it. All right, on to the next thing. All right, so the next thing I got here is um, uh, dry fire playbook, and we're not going to spend a ton of time on it, but I do have it pulled up so that we can talk about it. It's kind of the main focus of this episode is dry fire. And I want every one of our episodes going forward from here to talk about a different, you know, basic fundamental. So we're going to talk about dry firing right now. And then, you know, coming up next, we'll be doing the prone position and then like how to set up your rifle and stuff like that. So for now, it's the dry fire playbook and it's what, when, how and why. Right. So as far as the what and the why. That's all laid out. I built this dry fire playbook and I actually built this because every morning, right, I've set up a system. When I go out and I get to train the Marine snipers and, uh, you know, I set up a system every day, we have a reinforcement drill. It's a target that I've developed where it has three prone position shoots and it has tripod and barricade stuff. So every day they're going to shoot these drills and it's just to reinforce the prone position, the natural point of aim mag changes, tripod stuff, right? So we're reinforcing these drills and they are building good habits. But then before we go into live fire, I would, we we walk up to the fire line. we got the Marines there. Be like, all right, gentlemen, you guys got 10 minutes. I want you to go through. I want you to dry fire. I want you to work through your dry fire process, you know, warm yourselves up and you watch guys. And it's like, it's like guys walking in, in a circle and they don't know what direction to go, right? So guys will lay down, they'll be focused on the target and they'll go through their, you know, their dry fire, right? So they're cycling the bolt, they're pressing the trigger, and they're just for 10 minutes, we'll have a Marine lay there and not move. He's just, he's in the prone position <laughs> for 10 fucking minutes. I'm like, what are you accomplishing here? Like, I'm not knocking 10 minutes of prone dry fire. I'm like, but there's more to dry fire living than just that, you know? Yeah. You got your um, pre-fire 
habits that you're trying to build as well so like when you get behind the rifle are you adjusting your parallax are you setting your scope to zero like you know these are all things that could be incorporated into dry fire practice the whole point of dry fire is to to build good habits right yeah don't waste don't waste a rep if you're gonna do it yeah do it so that's the why behind the dry fire and then i wrote a, a list of here's a template right now you could change this template but it's got prone it's got tripod it's got barricade it's got things to work on every single one of these things and it takes you roughly 15 minutes to get through the entire thing right and now now your dry fire is done so when you can't go to the range or you're practicing in your garage you have a template to follow right and i i associate it with working out like if i go to the gym and I'm like, you know what? Today's going to be a chest day. And I'm like, okay, um, flat bench. And I'm going to go over there. I'm going to flat bench. And then I'm like, oh, the incline bench is open. I'll go do that. And now I'm doing incline, right? And I, yeah, I get through a few workouts, but then it gets to the point where like, I'm sitting there thinking like, what's the next workout that I should do? Hmm. I know I'm working chest. I just, I don't know what my workouts are. But if I have a workout program, right? And you see all the best athletes out there have a program to follow. So they're following this program where, okay, I got to start with this and then I got to do this and then I got to do this and then I got to do this. And this is how many reps and this is how many weight or, you know what I'm saying? Like, so you need something to follow. So we built it. We put it on our patreon.com uh, max one page, right? So you can go on there, you can download the target and uh, it's a dry fire target along with the playbook. And now you have a platform to actually guide you through the dry fire process. The when and the how, right? The when is kind of like we discussed last week where you should be setting yourself up, not just for habits, right? The dry firing will build you habits. When you choose the dry fire is building your ritual. So when are you going to do it? You're going to do it every morning when you wake up? You're going to wake up 15 minutes early to practice? You're going to do it as soon as you get off work? Is this a bedtime thing? But the key is that you have to do it. Right. Yeah. You have to do it um, if you want to get better and actually implement dry fire into your into your life. So when I'm looking at the playbook here, right, it starts off with prone. So prone drills, setting the rifle up, positioning, alignment, and natural point of aim. You are not even cycling the bolt. You're not pressing the trigger. All you're doing is you're practicing that method of setting your rifle down aimed at the target crawling into the rifle, setting the buttstock in the proper location, getting down, looking through the scope, and are you on the target? How is your body alignment? And then you adjust your natural point of aim. So I know it sounds cheesy as fuck, but it's one of the most basic things that shooters will fail at is actually aiming their rifle at the target without having looked through it first. So it's five reps of that, right? And it says the goal. In position on target, your natural point of aim is achieved without excessive movement. Starts from the standing with the rifle each time. So you're in the standing, you got your rifle, right? And by the time the drill is over, I want to get to the point where I'm behind the rifle. I didn't have to move my body a whole bunch and I'm on the target. I have natural point of aim. I close my eyes. I breathe, inhale, exhale, open, and boom. I have natural point of aim, right? That's the habit you're trying to build with this particular uh, movement. And then it goes into slow bolt manipulation. And I say slow because everybody wants to go fast, right? Speed comes by learning how to do the motion slow. 
So all you're doing is behind the rifle, everything is done correctly, right? You're forcing yourself to be perfect. And then you'll cycle the bolt, hand on trigger, breathe, exhale, press. And the breathing portion of this is actually the most difficult, Jeff, because when you get excited, when you get stressed, when all of these factors start to come at you from the outside, right? The first first fundamental to leave is the breathing. You'll start noticing that you fire on the inhale, right? When we get stressed, when we get like excited, our body wants to and hold its breath, right? Yep. You have to force yourself to exhale and take the shot. So why not build these habits now where you're in, out, press, in, out, press, right? And you're cycling the bolt so that your body and your arm, your hand, your elbows maintaining contact with the ground because your length of pull is set correctly and you cycle the bolt, right? And your body's getting used to that movement. So then when it's time to go fast, your body knows what to do. It just has to do it faster, right? Then you have natural point of aim sustainment. And then we have mag changes, right? One of the most overlooked, not practiced things with a bolt gun, right? So then you see guys fumbling around trying to get their magazine in and they're like, where's the fucking hole at, right? So you do it with a pistol, you do it with an AR, but you won't do it with your bolt gun. So it's incorporated in these mag uh, into these dry fire drills. And then it moves into tripod, deploy your tripod, right? So that you're getting it set up for the right height every time. You're not something that you have to think about. And then barricade alternate positions, same thing. You got your rifle in your hand, you set your bag down and you're working on efficiency of movement, but also setting the rifle down aimed at the target. You get into the position and the end goal is that you're able to be on target, natural point of aim, your position is set. And you didn't have to do a whole lot of adjusting because you built your position as you're getting into it, right? And that's it. Like, this is the dry fire playbook. And it just takes you sitting down and dedicating yourself to doing it, right? And fuck, you could write your own. You don't have to, you don't have to take ours. Like, the thing is, is like, we're a business and we run training classes We take our time to record videos, to do training videos, to do all these things. But in the end, we're still a company and we are trying to make money. We're not trying to break everybody's bank, but we're trying to make money. So if you go to our Patreon website and you look for our company on there, there is a VIP membership cost. It's like $5 a month for you to get access to all these things that we put out there because we're putting in time and effort to do that. If that's not for you, it's fine. Go build your own dry fire playlist, right? But the key here is that you have something to follow that guides you through the process. And as you learn, as you get better, then you can modify your playbook, right? But you got to have something or your dry fire. It it really is a lot like working out. I mean, you know, if you don't have that book to sit down and follow, you know, you're, you're going to wing it for a week or two, but after a while, you're just going to be, you're going to show up to the gym and, and, not know where you're at, not know exactly. what, what to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I can, I can think of just in that dry fire playbook, I can think of, you know, two of those things that I don't do habitually because yeah. I don't always fire. I don't always follow my own playbook and, and I'm, I dry fire three, four times a week. And yeah. it's kind of like the way I do the gym. I don't always follow a playbook like I'm supposed to. So, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a good reminder, but for everybody, I mean, you know go the patreon or build your own but definitely follow a playbook and and i mean just build building your position is probably the most overlooked 
fundamental of dry firing yeah that you know nobody does that because it's not part of it's not part of dry firing yeah. you know that's it's not part of pulling the trigger which is the only thing dry firing is well no it's building your position and everything else from from start to finish absolutely that, that most people don't do so that's I that's mean, good info when you really look at it right if you set your rifle down you get in position and all you're focused on is your trigger press hey good on you yeah but you have to realize that everything you did from the time you set that rifle down to you press that trigger you built a habit right you are one step closer to building a habit and it might not be a habit that you want so you might want to start thinking about from start to finish what is it that i want to do so that as you build these habits you're not pissed off with yourself later like fuck i built a shitty ass habit and now i have to break this you know like it's not just trigger press it's breathing it's positioning it's everything right it's buttstock placement so yeah, the dry fire is a big one and it can be it can be messed up. It can be done so often that it messes you up, right? So um that's really all I got for the dry fire playbook, man. Um I do have a couple things in terms of like diopter setting and then parallax setting. Um so one of them is like dealing with the optic itself. What I like to do is there's a method to the madness here when it comes to setting up your diopter, right? The, the adjustment at the very end of your diopter body of your scope, right? you got this ring and it'll rotate and it'll change the focus point of your reticle. That's it. That's all it's meant to do. Now, if you're staring at a target, it's also going to change the, the focus of the target, right? But that's not the design of it. The design is that it changes the clarity of your reticle. So you want to look at the ground. You want to look at a piece of paper. You want to look at the sky. You want to look at something that you can't focus on. All you can see is that reticle. And then I have students start rotating to the left, to the left, to the left, right? And then once they see that reticle get blurry, then we mark it, right? And then we turn it to the right, to the right, to the right. And then once it gets blurry again, then we mark it. And then we'll go back to the middle of those two marks. And now you're kind of dead set in the middle of where that focus range is for you as a shooter, right? Whatever your eye is, 2010, 2015. So that's a method of doing it, right? I've also just turn it left, turn it left, turn it left until reticle gets blurry and then rotate it right until it's the clearest I've seen it. And I'll leave it there, right? That could be my spot. Um, so you can do it multiple ways. The idea is that the reticle gets clear. The second test is one, um, you know, the little numbers on the side of the parallax knob, when you start adjusting your reticle focus, your diopter, it's changing how that light is being refracted and, and cut and, you know, all that stuff inside the scope. So the parallax knob has some some of the manufacturers out there will do like 50 75 100 200 300 right they'll put markings on there those are just reference points that's not the end They're always all perfect all. yeah they always line up so <clears throat> your your reticle focus is going to change where the parallax setting is going to be in relation to those reference marks right so what you can do is you get your reticle set up perfectly. You, in your mind, you think that your reticle is set up crystal clear, right? And then you look at, let's say, a 600 meter target, 600 yard target. 
You get your rifle set up so that it's aiming at that target without your help. And then you look through the scope, right? Don't touch the rifle. You just look through the scope. You can see the crosshair. You're focused on the crosshair. And you're moving your head left and right. And you're adjusting parallax so that when you move your head left and right, the reticle doesn't move on the target. So now you're parallax free, right? So then the second part of the question of do you have your diopter set correctly is when you're aiming at the target, your parallax is set so that it's parallax free, your reticle does not move when you move your head, is the target clear? And if the target's not clear, then you've done something wrong setting up your diopter focus. You need to go back to the beginning and try it again, right? Yep. Too many times people will just adjust their parallax knob till the target's clear but if you set your diopter wrong in the first place you still have parallax and you're still fucked up yeah you know so uh, and that should be part of and that should be part of once that's done that's part of building your position yeah during the dry fire yeah yeah absolutely so that i wanted to bring that up in terms of like diopter setting and parallax and how they're related to each other um and then link to pull People not knowing how to set it up, right? What to look for. We kind of talked about all of that stuff when we were breaking down some of the videos that we watch, right? But your length of pull, if you haven't done it this way before, it's not going to be comfortable, right? It's kind of like when you take a shooter who's been hunting his whole life and never really had any formal instruction, his natural body position is kind of off to his weak side, hips off alignment, right? So when you try to move a shooter into the right position, they, they, they look at you like this feels weird. Well, no shit, it feels weird, right? Try coming to a foreign country and driving on the left side of the road. It feels weird until I get used to it, you know? So your length of pull should be set up to fit your body. I don't want to hear any of this like, oh, it, you know, when I have it set at 13 and a half inches, it's comfortable. But you're 5'2". You have no reason of having a 13.5 inch length of pull. Stop it, right? set it up for your actual body dimensions and it will get comfortable as you continue to do the right things. Um, so that's what I had on length of pool. The last thing is we just had some listeners. Um, they kind of commented, they wanted to ask questions and see if we could talk about something. So current manufacturers don't make stocks that fit shooters with proper length of pool size or adjustments. Uh, it doesn't look like it was a question, more of just a statement, which is true, right? When you yeah, start I looking... think forever. I think like the standard length of pull was like 13 inches or something. Yeah, 13 inches for a long just time. across the board. And, yeah. and I never, my entire life growing up, never had a rifle fit me right. Yeah. So 13 inches was the standard for a long time. I think, you know, moving forward, we've kind of seen companies adjust on that a little bit and kind of like tame it down. So you'll see some companies out there with 12 and a half or 12, um, but in all honesty, like when you are going to buy a product, these products aren't cheap. When you buy a Falcor chassis, if you get all the bells and whistles on this Falcor chassis, you're $1,800 in the hole. Yeah. Is, it, is it a good investment? Yeah, it's a good investment, but you should have done your due diligence to research that stock and ask yourself, is it going to fit me? You know, like, is it going to work with this action that I have? You know, if you're running a Badger Ordnance action, I'm sorry to tell you, it's not going to fit in a Remington 700 chassis, right? So you need to be doing your due diligence. 
kind of like looking at MDT or XLR or Manners or, you know, McMillan, you look at all these chassis and stock manufacturers out there. Are you doing your research to be able to tell yourself this stock is going to work for me because it's going to fit me properly, right? But again, a lot of manufacturers, like Russ was saying, they don't fit shooters. They are just across the board. This is what it is, right? Um, diagnosing reticle movement and how reticle setup fundamentals affect it. That was from Mike. So diagnosing reticle movement and how it's set up. All right. Um, I think I can so that- tackle... Go ahead. I'm just trying to, trying to, to, does he mean like reticle movement in, in like when you're behind the rifle or is that a parallax issue? I think it's in relation to fundamentals and how, Okay. if your fundamentals are good or if your fundamentals are bad, like what, what can movement in the reticle tell you? you gotcha. Okay. Um, so this is one that is definitely always in my tripod class. I talk to our mm-hmm. students about, you know, being on the rifle and it applies to the prone position. It applies to barricades. Right. But looking through the scope, I know that, you know, some people are going to be like, what, what the fuck's he talking about? Right. But through the optic, the, the scope is a tube, right? It's not a bino. It's one monocular. And if you look through anything monocular, the image that you see is flat, Right meaning that you can't really determine depth. You can look through your rifle scope and you can you can say, you know, that tree is farther than that target because of where it's at in the picture, but there's no depth perception there. Does that make sense? So no, it's just smaller. So I'm a, my brain's making the picture that it's further away. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, looking through a scope, everything is two dimensional. You have up, down, you have left and right. Mm-hmm. So when you're aiming in at your target, <clears throat> Left and right movement will 90% of the time be associated with natural point of aim error, right? The rifle's trying to aim here, and the shooter's forcing the rifle to aim here, and now you are fighting each other, right? So you get this left and right movement, and a lot of shooters will just try to fight through it, right? I see it a lot with people who talk about like a wobble zone. I'm not against the 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 word wobble zone what i'm against is that people are accepting that they're wobbling half a mil in each direction it should not be that bad right if you have any movement at all we're talking like maybe 0.1 or 0.2 mils in either direction but not fucking half a mil yeah you know that's way too much wobble you are you are using the word wobble zone to cover up that you have a shitty position right so 90% of the time, left and right movement is going to be associated directly with what your natural point of aim look like, right? And, you know, we could talk about recoil management later because that's a whole different subject. But just in terms of before the shot, I got left and right movement, natural point of aim. If you got excessive amounts of left and right movement, you, get, you need to move your body, right? You and the rifle are not working together and you need to change that. You need to be aiming at the same space. And, then and that's no as... matter. And that's no matter the setup. That is kneeling, prone, tripod, barricade doesn't matter. You have everything. a natural point of aim problem. Yep, everything. And, and that is, especially with, and it's really exacerbated by by new tripod shooters. Yeah. Um, because you know, let's be real. Like that's not necessarily something that's been 
really trained as much as you know we do um just more recently it's been something that now everybody has a tripod which is good but not everybody knows how to use them absolutely 100 percent. you can see about see that by the pictures and videos you see all over social media yeah instantly i'd be like he don't know what the fuck he's doing he don't know what mm -hmm. the fuck he's hey this guy he must have trained with us he knows what he's doing right so yeah absolutely and then as far as reticle movement up and down right if left and right is natural point of aim, up and down is bone support, right? When we talk about three fundamentals, three foundational fundamentals of marksmanship, we got bone support, muscle relaxation, natural point of aim. Your up and down movement is going to be directly associated with bone support and muscle relaxation. If you don't have bone support, then you probably have muscle tension. And now you're seeing that reticle bounce up and down because you're trying to force the reticle to aim here and it wants to go up there because that's where your bone structure is settling down at right so if you see that vertical movement you need to move your feet closer move your feet farther away like you need to adjust your height maybe the tripod's too high maybe your position is in a kneeling off of a barricade and it's a high kneeling but you're sitting there with your left knee kind of tucked under your body instead of stretched out where it can provide a bone structure so anytime you see vertical movement it's going to be associated with that bone structure not being sufficient for what you're trying to do you want to reduce mm -hmm. that movement get better at bone support find better ways to build your structure with bone from the ground up and less with muscle tension, and you'll see that vertical movement go away 100%. Try it. Come back to me if, if it doesn't work. I, I will. There's no way, all right? I promise you. So it's just one of those things, man. Um, you got to break it down to the most easiest form of understanding, and that's it, all right? It all comes down to those three basic fundamentals. And if you know why something isn't working, then you can fix it. So let's see here. Uh, controlling focus, calm under pressure, how I personally stay calm. This is from Bell. I think this was a question towards me of how do I control my focus? How am I so calm under pressure? How am I personally stay calm? Man, I, I'm going to have to think about this for, for a second. I would say when it comes to competitive shooting, controlling my focus for me, especially because I'm so harebrained, you know, and like, it, we could be at a competition and, and I know a lot of people and I know a lot, a lot of people know me. So they want to talk, right? They want to chat. They want to see what's going on. How do I do on the last stage? Like there's so many distractions out there that it's easy to get sidetracked, right? So how I maintain focus is I just have my checklist, right? And it's not a written checklist. It's a checklist that I've done time and time and time again. So it's, it's habitual now. So before a stage, I'm going to go through my process and my focus is set on like, I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. And then before you know it, I am prepped. I'm ready to go for that stage. And because I held that, that checklist, it appears that I'm focused, right? Because I'm just, I'm just checking off the list, right? And it's no different for like being a hunter or being a military shooter. Like you're still going through a checklist of what you have to do to take that shot. So if you're focused on doing the checklist, then that's all the focus that you need, you know, um, and that helps you with being calm under pressure. If you know that your process is 
a good process and you're hitting all the wickets, then it's more likely to help you be calm under pressure because you're prepared, right? Preparation breeds that calm under prepper, uh, calm under pressure, you know, preparation Mm -hmm. breeds success. So the more prepared you are, the more successful you'll be. And I think that helps you with being calm under pressure. It doesn't mean that I don't get nervous, right? Um, I used to get nervous for different reasons, but now I don't know if it's nervous or just get a little bit of like elevated heart rate, but I think it's well, more nervousness. Nervousness and, and excitement are, are really, they're close. They like, are they're close. not, they're not too, they're not separated by too much. So I, I suffer from that too, where I, I have to ask myself, am I excited or am I fucking <laughs> nervous here? <laughs> like, yeah. Which one am I? And I'd say for me, like I get a little bit of that. I get excited because I'm about to shoot and I, I got a good plan for this stage and I'm ready to kill it. Right. And then on the other side, there's like a little bit of elevated heart rate. There's a little bit of like, okay, like I'm not going to pretend that I am not, you know, at some of these matches, I'm not being watched. I'm being Mm -hmm. watched by other people. So there's a little bit of pressure or nervousness there to like perform well, you know, like, and I just got to tell myself like, play your game man don't worry about anybody else don't worry about who's watching you know just just do you and block all that other noise out and uh i think just talking to myself and having a good plan and going through my process that helps me with being calm under pressure and you know that's what i need personally if i get if i get pulled out of that checklist if i get distracted if i allow myself to do other things then the intensity of that pressure builds because now I know I'm not ready. You know, so I would say to answer the question, preparation. The more prepared you are, the more calm you're going to be because now you have that confidence of what it is that you're doing. I don't think it matters if you're a competitor or anything, right? Kind of like, you know, if you're a law enforcement officer and you haven't done any preparation to pull your pistol out and defend your life. Well, if the real life situation comes where you have to do that, you are not ready. You are not prepared. So mm-hmm. fighting to get your pistol out, fighting to aim at a person, you haven't practiced or had the mindset of like actually shooting a person. So now you're like hesitant to press the trigger. All of these things are like collapsing in on you at once because of your failure to prepare. So I'd say preparation. Um, hmm. This last one, I think we've already covered it, man. He, he asked about natural point of aim and scope setup, and I'd say we discussed diopter and parallax mm-hmm. and how they're related. We also talked about natural <clears throat> point of aim. You know, maybe we touch a little bit on it, but it has nothing to do with your body alignment. It is, I get behind the rifle, I relax, I settle down, I, I build my position, and then I look at where the reticle is aiming where does the reticle want to go that's my natural point of aim right now what i do with my body to move that natural point of aim that's a different story right how my recoil is going to react after the shot that's all on my position right but i'm going to have a natural point of aim regardless of the position that i'm in i just have to be able to find it yeah so yeah man this was a pretty good list of things that we had to talk about today uh, as just a non-traditional Tuesday podcast, uh, which is actually it's 
what day is it? Sunday, right? Sunday. Sunday. So it's pretty good. You got anything you want to close out with? Um, I don't. I'm still in the middle of this remodel, so I'm I'm as scatterbrained as you are right now. But it'll yeah. be a little more. I'll be a little more dialed in. Hopefully, as we as the weeks go on, I'll if, I'll, I'll get my shit together. But for everybody out there, it's hectic here. Everybody that keeps hearing him talk about the remodel, okay. Uh, this remodel has been happening for a year, and it's not like he's not doing it's anything. Long, longer than a year. He is doing stuff, right? Yes. It's just every time I come over, there's something different, right? It started with like, oh, we're gonna do the, we're gonna do this backyard area. We're gonna have this really cool like stage, and like they did it. They got a pond, a little pond with all these fish in it. And they got this nice stage with all these flowy little curtains, and they're like. It's cool. And then so currently, so currently the backyard has no concrete. The entire basketball court is gone. Oh man. It it left out of here yesterday. So I had um, my gardener and his whole crew two days demoed and, and hauled away the entire basketball court. Um, and now me and me and the wife are doing the kitchen ourselves still. So we're just, our kitchens tore up, but. Well, I was going to say like you did that portion of the backyard. Now you got the pool portion being built. And on top mm -hmm. of that, you just did the side walls where you busted out two walls and put tons of different doors and windows and like opened up the living room. And then the kitchen's different in terms of the entry and exit. Mm -hmm. Then you tore the kitchen apart. And now you, dude, you got so as soon as, as soon as the kitchen's done, as soon as the pool's done, we're going to put a pause for a few months. And we're going to go travel. Because <laughs> okay. we haven't been able to with, I mean, we got the, you know, Eliza's what, seven, almost 17 months now. And um, we haven't really gone anywhere other than just really, we've stayed here and remodel. We just took this time to remodel the house. So yeah, she's, she, I think she's old enough to start traveling and we're going to actually go out and get away from the house for a little bit. So, but Good, in the meantime, Good. in the meantime, things will, I'll, we'll start getting our, our groove here and I'll be able to, I mean, hell, I didn't have a computer yesterday. My, I know my yeah. computer was apart. So just, uh, I just wanted to clarify That's for me. everybody out there that you're not just blowing smoke and like, Oh, I got <laughs> remodeling stuff. No, it's just multiple projects that are all consecutively being executed yes. at the same time, yeah. so, which is the reason I haven't hunted this year, which is a whole nother topic, but uh, I'm going to make it out. I'm going to make it out a couple of times before season's over and I will report back. Awesome, man. Well, Hey, it was good sitting down with you. Appreciate you taking the time out. I'll see you in a couple of days for our next episode. Everybody else, thank you guys for listening, for following along. Go check out our Patreon page. See what you guys can dig up there if there's anything useful for you. Um, check out you know, our YouTube page. We've been uploading videos in terms of training material. We'll be keeping to update that stuff. Make sure you like and subscribe. Appreciate it again, Jeff. Until next time, my brother. Talk to you later. Peace.